0: Through the storm, we reach the shore You give it all, but I won't
1: John Gormley, good to have you here. A bit of a gray day around much of the province, though as the sky begins to open up and the sun tries to make a valiant uh, effort at getting out. Remember, gray days if you're driving. This is a Saskatchewan fall-winter deal. Click on those lights so everybody can see your taillights as well. Well, I'm glad you're here this morning. Gosh, we've got a lot of stuff on the go. Uh, If you're like me, you were... Interested to hear uh, the story of Jeff Wilkinson, a cardiologist in Moose Jaw, uh, the South Saskatchewan Heart Clinic, recently making news when the decision a month ago on October the 1st to opt out of the publicly funded Sask Health Medicare system. Now, if you're of a certain age, <laughs> mine, you will remember that there's nothing that prevents. Anyone, assuming they're a physician, they're fully licensed to practice, from practicing medicine on a completely private basis. You don't bill the government. The government has no involvement in the payment. That physician offers services to you that you pay for. Where it's gotten sticky over the years, and this goes all the way back into the 80s, even the 70s before that, is when physicians build the government like every physician does, but then they also want to have a private component. So I heard a young person say when we were chatting about Jeff Wilkinson, like, can you do that? Can you actually run a clinic privately? So I thought it would be great to meet Jeff this morning to find out what led to this. Clearly something was underlying the decision and what the challenges are, what the opportunities are to opt out of publicly funded health care. We find Dr. Wilkinson in Moose Jaw this morning. Uh, Jeff, thanks so much for taking our call.
0: John, thanks for the invite. It's nice to be here with you today.
1: So what led to the decision?
0: So, John, our clinic has been operating in Moose Jaw since 2018, and we are... Just a little clinic. Um, I'm a small, unimportant doctor in Moose Jaw, but we run a little cardiology clinic that has always catered to the local people of Moose Jaw and to Southerners. We love seeing our rural patients. And for the last five years, our clinic has come under uh, quite a bit of pressure, specifically financial pressure, to uh, to get by. And as a result of the low rates of reimbursement from the government at the present time, we found it very difficult to attract and retain high quality staff that have all the training required to provide the services that our office does. And so in viewing how to move forward, uh, we, we felt that the rates of reimbursement were low enough that it was difficult. And the second thing that we looked at, which is a really important component of this, is whether or not there was demand in the system for patients that were frustrated with long wait times. So for a physician to become private, to even consider that, you have to be A, frustrated with the public Medicare program and find it too challenging to operate. And number two, you have to feel that there is a demand in the system for those services. And, and so we tried to look at this from the most rational perspective we, we possibly could, and that's the decision uh, that we made ultimately. Honestly, though, John, let's be honest. The normal way that this situation gets managed is physicians just leave the province. Yes, That is the way Saskatchewan, fishians, uh, uh, Saskatchewan people specifically physicians, have managed the situation. You just go to the United States or you go to Alberta. And actually, I love where I live. I love Moose Jaw. I love the people that I look after. And I think that it is critically important for us to realize that we love where we live and we don't feel like we should have to move because of the government of Saskatchewan, doesn't want to be a partner in health care. I know that yesterday you said that Warman was the best city in all of Saskatchewan. (laughs) Well, Well, Warman people say that. I know, but I just want to say Moose Jaw is the best city in Saskatchewan. And so we love where we live. We love the people that we serve. And we want to provide a service to them that meets their expectations and meets what they deserve.
1: Jeff Wilkinson, cardiologist in Moose Jaw. How difficult was it to make this decision?
0: the The decision was 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 wrenching. I'm from here. Well, Moose Jaw people say I'm not from here. I'm from Regina, <laughs> and so people from Moose Jaw say I'm actually not from here. But nonetheless, uh, we um, we we had to work through a big process. To, to make this happen. This all started in January, where we tried to work with our local officials. Uh, we, we met with our local MLA. We tried to work through an orderly political process. We tried to work through advocacy with the Saskatchewan Medical Association. And truthfully, since I'm from here, I believe in public Medicare. I believe in a single-payer system that... We all pay into and that we can get good quality healthcare services since we all pool our resources and work together. That's the Saskatchewan way. It is to pool our resources and to work together. And so internally, I have had a lot of angst because I grew up believing that. Mm-hmm. But right now, we are facing such a challenge in healthcare and we were faced with such difficult decisions that I have to put my patient first. I have to put the quality of our service that we provide to people first. One of the other ways that you manage this situation is you just see people faster, hand on the door medicine, and you, you just move people through on a conveyor belt. And as a doctor from this province, I don't feel that that's the right way to go forward, that you should not be seeing patients more quickly just to make an extra dollar. You need to spend time with people. You need to give them the care and attention that they deserve and need. And and so when faced with a patient in front of me, I can't make that compromise and compromise the care that I provide to my patients. I I had to make a change. I was forced to make the change.
1: Jeff Wilkinson, cardiologist in Moose Jaw. He runs the South Saskatchewan Heart Clinic. He has opted out of publicly funded Medicare. Okay, so the question everybody just wants to know, can you make a business go of it, never mind, and you've articulated very well the patient care imperative, Can you make a business of charging people to come and see you as a cardiologist?
0: That's the question, John. 100% that is the question. What I will say is that we have been operating for four weeks so far. And many of the patients uh, that we had been seeing before were made aware of the change that that we made. And many patients have chosen to continue seeing us. If a patient is unable to continue uh, seeing us for financial reasons, for instance, you know we, we make a referral to another cardiologist or encourage them to follow up with their family doctor, we are trying to make sure that their heart care is seamless, but only time will tell. I think, however, that I have heard enough from my patients about the challenges of the public Medicare system that we have heard enough from our patients that there is a demand for these services and perhaps we as a group from this province need to recognize that maybe we need to have third-party health insurance because the public medicare system may not be able to meet 100 percent of the needs that we have and we might need to get to the place where we all consider especially working people, holding additional third-party health insurance, which is common in every other liberal democracy in Europe. It's very common in Britain. It's common in in, uh, in the European Union. It's common to hold a little extra health insurance. You know, I was just reading the story of a poor lady who had her breast biopsy delayed by weeks. Yeah. And what a heart-wrenching story. I... I cannot express just how how deeply sad and how anxious that 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 lady must be. And for us to meet the needs of the health of the province, I I, I think that there might be a little bit of room for private health care, but I do want to say that I want to be in the public Medicare program. I want the public Medicare program to be excellent. I want the public Medicare program to be the program that that's all we need. But right now, that is not the case. It has been very challenging, even in critical situations with heart care, with cancer care, that patients are unable to get the appointments that they need. And and I think that that's the tipping point where, where we made that decision. And I think some patients are at the point where they just need to get something done. And our clinic models ourself uh, or likes to try to model ourself after the Mayo Clinic. You can be seen in our office within a week or two. Patients can get their tests done on the same day. They can get their results immediately. And so we think that that price-value relationship, a visit in our office, we're charging $350, which, to put it in other terms, is two weeks of smokes. If you smoke a pack a day, you know we are not we are not out to um to hurt people financially we are just an outlet valve we are a pressure release valve to the public system and we think that that's valuable but in response to your question only time will tell the proof is in the pudding
1: jeff wilkinson cardiologist in southern saskatchewan his clinic is called the South Saskatchewan Heart Clinic. Uh, he's a cardiologist in Moose Jaw. Well, this has been a great chat this morning, Jeff. want to thank you so much for this. And before I let you go, just to give a sense, um, ECGs or electrocardiograms, yes. um, that's a pretty standard test, I think. Uh, Bread and butter. What's the contrast? What were you getting from the Saskatchewan government for an ECG versus Alberta?
0: Yeah, so the difference between our rates right now in Saskatchewan and Alberta are different for common cardiology procedures by 20 to 40%. An electrocardiogram in Saskatchewan is paid at $18.90. In Alberta, it is paid $34.33. In Manitoba, it is paid at $24.75. Our rates, like I said, are... 50% 50% lower, which means the government would have to literally double some of the rates to be even competitive with Alberta. And we know that we need to have competitive rates to attract physicians to this province. In business, we all know you have to be competitive. And right now, unfortunately, the Saskatchewan government is not competitive. There is a very low number of trained specialists specifically cardiologists in this province and the low rates of reimbursement make operating that clinic very challenging and secondly it is resulting in a lack of physicians in this province because we're not competitive
1: you put it well so so if i went to your clinic would the ecg be part of the 350 consult or what would i i pay separately privately for an ecg now
0: Oh, that's a good question. A consultation is three hundred fifty dollars, which includes their ECG. Oh, okay. So, so we, that's we include it all together.
1: Okay, so that's rolled into. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Uh, Jeff, this has been great. Um, all the best on this, and I love your, your your rationale. I'm I'm like you. I mean, let's always default to a single payer system that we yes. all contribute to. But it makes everything work better when you know there can be some degree of self insurance. And I I've never understood this. We have to do it only one way when. Every other country in the OECD has a blend. Yes. So you argue it compellingly. And uh, thanks so much for sharing your time this morning.
0: John, thank you for having me on.
1: Dr. Jeff Wilkinson, cardiologist, moose jaw, and uh, the man who, for four weeks now, starting October the 1st, at the South Saskatchewan Heart Clinic, frustrated by the fees that are paid by the Saskatchewan government, and he gave you one good example simply said, that sort of frustration coupled with demand in the system where people need to be seen on a timely basis, and he guarantees people you'll be seen by him in a week, you'll get the tests done at that appointment, and that appointment is now paid privately by the patient, $350, and some of it you can use on uh, your supplementary insurance. But this is the first completely opted-out private physician's office. Now, I don't know how you test this, but somebody has said since Medicare came to this province in 1962. I'm Gormley on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME. Good to have you here. Uh, That was nice, uh, meeting the cardiologist Jeff Wilkinson. And now I've got all the Warman people saying, let me just clarify, Warman is the best city in the world. Okay. Crescent Park in Moose Jaw, though, I've told you about, is one of my very favorite places in Saskatchewan. You've never been to Crescent Park. You will walk down into that park, and you are sitting in England, in Dublin, in European cities, the swans, the birds. I love Crescent Park. So Jeff Wilkinson uh, certainly rates well with you. Tim in Swift Current, thank you for the cardiologist and the discussion on private care. Tommy Douglas had a vision and a good idea that began in Saskatchewan in the 1930s when RMs began to fund Medicare and then the 1940s for hospital care, 1962 for physicians. These were great ideas for the 50s and 60s. It's 2023. I will be booking an appointment with this doctor soon. Uh, Marco says, I agree with having a third party payer system or a partial private system. It would open up areas like emergency rooms for those who need it, as opposed to those who can get health plans to make it work. Uh, this doctor is a groundbreaking rock star, says Norm. This is a discussion that has to happen, and it must come from doctors. They are the largest capitalist part of a socialist system, and it can be made to work more effectively. You know, it's fascinating. And doctors, my dad was a president of the SMA many, many years ago. and. In those days, the big threat the NDP used to do in the 70s was, we're going to put you all on the payroll. And doctors said, no, no, now GPs, family docs, want to be paid civil servants. And I get it. They want uh, what's called a capitation model, where they have X number of patients and they get a blanket salary, they get some modified ability to bill. But the idea is this fee-for-service model that everything you do, you get, you bill the government. Now, you don't have any receivables. Government always pays. But you get these little payments for a myriad of things. So the incentive, of course, for doctors is to move you through really quickly. That's not quality care. And I thought Jeff amplified that so well. I'm Gormley on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME. I'm drawn warmly. It was said years ago, many, many years ago, and it offends politicians, and it really should offend butchers, that watching public policy get made in committees, in backgrounds, is like watching a sausage get made. You grind up a whole bunch of things and you put them in a tube and then you go, oh, there's a sausage. That should really offend butchers. Um, Because (laughs) public policy and the law often have many considerations, and not the least of which, in the case of our law courts, is the time of the court and all of these issues. Which brings me to the con artist Dawn Walker. Dawn Walker has changed her plea to guilty. She's in court right now, and she's going to walk. Yep. Disappointed? I think you should be. So who's Dawn Walker? Chief Operating Officer of the Federation of Saskatchewan Indian Nations, Indigenous Nations, FSIN. You remember she's suing, along with the FSIN itself, a woman who they Hired to do the FSIN vote count. The woman found irregularities and said people are cheating. So for this, Don Walker and the FSIN sue the woman? Uh, now, the court, uh, the judge found Don Walker's affidavit evidence, um, shall we say, lacking. He really said her evidence didn't have much weight or much authority. So that's kind of the Don Walker you knew before. Summer of 2022, Dawn Walker disappears, and it's a riverbank scene, her abandoned truck, a broken fishing rod, clothes on the shore, and it looks like she and her little boy have been swept away in the South Saskatchewan River. The FSIN and others demand a full manhunt, and I found it embarrassing that the court says it was over $100,000 in resources spent. It was many hundreds of thousands of dollars spent. But the lawyers are looking out for Dawn Walker. So Dawn Walker was charged, and she's still facing charges in the States, but they're not going to proceed. Again, it's efficiency of the justice system. So she has pled guilty this morning, changing her not guilty plea to abduction in contravention of a custody or parenting order, Because child abduction was part of this, because she and a child involved were found not in the river as victims, but 12 days later in Oregon City, in Oregon. She had an elaborate ruse where she was transferring tens of thousands out of bank accounts she controlled and had fake documents. It was pathetic. So she pleads guilty this morning to abduction in contravention of a custody or parenting order, forgery, uttering a forged passport, in other words, using a passport that had been forged, and using trafficking and possessing a forged document. So she pled guilty to all of those charges in court this morning. Now, when you have one of Canada's best defense counsel, Marie Hennon, going to bat with for you, um, you know Marie Hennon was able to negotiate something with the Crown. So Walker changes her plea pleads guilty, the Crown is recommending a 12-month conditional sentence to be served in the community. Oh, jumpin' Jehoshaphat. There were aggravating factors, though. Months of planning by Walker, staging an apparent abduction or death scene, The whole case cost over $100,000 of public resources. Those are clearly aggravating, but I would put the helicopter searches, the drone searches, the squadrons of officers at a little more than 100 large. This was despicable. Now, so there's aggravating and mitigating. The aggravating factors, (laughs) this is funny. She pled guilty and she's remorseful. She filed a blizzard of documents alleging constitutional breaches by the police, by corrections officials, even the poor chump who was the pilot who flew her back on a private plane from Oregon. They were implicated in violating her rights. She went full DEFCON 3 with absolutely no remorse. But now she's pleading guilty and she's remorseful. And she's complied obviously with bail conditions. She hasn't gotten in any trouble and she underwent a psychological report that showed a low risk to reoffend. Marie Hannon does good work. So what should have, I think, obvious to many people been a case where you had to spend some time in jail. You just can't be that conniving and corrupt and deliberate and willful. 12 months to be served at home in the community, life goes on, plus 18 months probation. Um, Now, she did, after she was detained, also in this really remorseful, I say sarcastically, went on this big tear that she was the victim of domestic abuse and she had to flee to save her. And certainly her ex... Who I wish I could tell you more about her ex. I mean, you want to talk about a man who has been through hell. Um, her ex and others have said that too was faked. This whole idea that she had no—because remember she kept trying to take jobs in Ottawa and you know move her child—and the the dad kept saying, "Hey, no, you know we're going to raise the child in the same city." So, Don Walker gets a 12-month conditional sentence, and you could call that walking away. Am I really evil for thinking you must send? She's a law grad from Queens. She's a best-selling author. She's a comedian. She's a writer. I don't know if she's still employed by the FSIN. She was the chief operating officer, but this is about the most privileged person in terms of education, life, income, you're, again, in a culture that, Tends to dine out on privilege. This is an exceedingly privileged person who planned this scam for months. So, Don Walker, 12 months. (laughs) Now, the difficulty judges have, and I won't dig too deep on this, but when there's a joint submission, or particularly when the Crown comes in with this, you know, the Crown agreed to the defense, hey, we'll make the recommendation, So the defense was able to convince the crown. It's a pretty rare situation, uh, and only in cases where a judge believes it would be detrimental to the administration of justice to override that. But when the crown and the defense come in jointly, it's important to say judges aren't bound, their hands aren't tied, but let's put it this way. They are clearly, in most cases, going to do that. So that's what we know. I'm looking at the texts. A number of you have some opinions on this. You all tend to comport with mine. You might be. Somebody might say, though, that this poor woman uh, was a victim indeed. But uh, a lot of you are saying, oh, here's a good point, too. John, you've talked about the planning. You've talked about the cost. What about the safety risk to firefighters who had dive teams? They were in boats on the river. Every time they go out, there's a risk to their life and safety. That means nothing. And I think the point is well taken. No judge, because the defense never would have suggested this, and the Crown lives in a world where everything's looked after by the government. How about pay restitution? How about compensate the Saskatoon Police Service, the RCMP, Search and Rescue, the Fire Department, the helicopter companies, and they get to give you, Don Walker, an invoice. And then once you've paid that as a condition of your probation, so you get a year, stay at home, go to work every day, do whatever it is you do, plus probation. What did I say the probation was? 18 months? Yeah, okay, so 12 plus 18. So you got two and a half years to come up with the money. And she's paid in the six digits anyway and all those sorts of things. So that might be really cool. But would a judge do that? Would the crown suggest that? Doesn't appear to be the case. I'm Gormley. This is 650 CKOM and 980 CJME. Lots of chatter going on in the political world. I was going to get into a bit of it this hour, but let's defer that till a little bit later on in the 11 o'clock hour. Here's what's going on. Mark Carney has virtually made it official. He is in the hunt to succeed Justin Trudeau as the Liberal leader. Uh, He spoke this week. Uh, He is the United Nations Climate and Finance Advisor. Uh, He, of course, was the... uh, governor of both the Bank of Canada and the Bank of England, very blue chip in terms of the finance world, very left-wing on uh, universal basic income, carbon taxes, all of these sorts of things. But Carney has not ruled out a run for the liberal leadership. So that's really the tell. And so, of course, you've got an interesting situation. I'll get into this too. A former senior Conservative cabinet minister, Joe Oliver, one time minister of finance in the Harper years, saying Trudeau must go. Well, big deal. He's a conservative. Percy Down, senator from PEI, appointed by the liberals, former chief of staff to John Chrétien, lifetime liberal Percy Down, writes a piece on how Trudeau must go. So it has become really interesting. And then, of course, all of the seat stuff uh, now, remember, I was telling you, I was shocked yesterday that Leger was seeing conservative support at 40%. That's huge majority government. Uh, the latest aggregator from 338 Canada crunches all the polls. They've got the conservatives at 41%. The liberals back between 26 and 28. So lots of talk on politics. Do you ever, and this is not a great way to judge it, because you should really, before you judge people, go a little bit further. But sometimes you just need a news story. And you think, I rather like that person. Amelia Clark, who we all knew from Game of Thrones, and if you're of a certain age, you'd know her from uh, a number of different shows, uh, Me Before You, movies, TV series. Amelia Clark's only 37 years old a very entertaining, a very good actress, tells the UK edition of Harper's Bazaar that back in 2011 and 2013, she was very young, she was just in her early mid-twenties, she had two brain aneurysms and underwent very serious neurological surgery. And after her second hemorrhagic incident, she said, I feared the people I worked with would find me unreliable because, quote, half my brain is gone. If I'm being brutally honest, the whole thing made me feel very ashamed, like I was broken, and producers might think I'm unreliable. If you look at my brain scans, there are many black parts, the dead parts. How could I trust my experience? How could I trust that what was happening to me was real? That plagued me for a long time. It's taken me a decade to understand where I am now, my identity, and who I am as a result of my experiences. And here's the keeper. If I hadn't had a brain hemorrhage, I might have turned into a right old dickhead, thinking I was the bee's knees living in Hollywood. I'm so much more aware of what's happening in the moment that it's happening. I don't worry about failure. I thrive on failure. If something goes wrong, I always think you can fix it. When it goes wrong, it hurts. It's scary. But then you can do something. I think I rather like Amelia Clark. Um, That was an aspect of her career and her character. I just never knew. I don't follow, I mean, other than... The Queen of the Dragons on uh, Game of Thrones every week um, knew very little about her. What a courageous, remarkable young woman to have bounced back from those two things and have that view, and so British. Let me just quote that. It sounds like Sarah Mills. I might have turned into a right old dickhead thinking I was the bee's knees. (laughs) You don't get any more British than that. Now, other people you think on a single story— I don't think I'm too fussy about this person. Now, Robert De Niro, for a long time on politics, is just loopy. I mean, not quite as crazy left-wing out there as Sean Penn, but you can see Sean Penn from where Bob De Niro is. And what is so crazy is every time there's a political discussion, Robert De Niro thinks he's a good fella, thinks he's a made man. Why, I ought to take you. And, uh... and he starts talking like he's a mafioso guy, and you think... Bob, you're an actor. Well, but it's weird because you're able to put that aside because De Niro, in my humble opinion, is such a gifted actor. Well, there is a lawsuit going on in New York, and he had a meltdown in the courtroom this week. His former executive assistant, and he also appointed her the vice president of his holding company, um, her name is Graham Chase Robinson. She's known as Chase. She was basically De Niro's personal assistant from 08 until 2019. And she's only 41 years old now, and he's 80. She seeks $12 million for emotional distress and reputational harm. She was making $300,000 a year as his personal assistant. And he's countersuing that she took airline points of his and then... He stands up in court and yells, shame on you, Chase Robinson. And the judge looks over like, what's your problem? And then he apologizes. And he says, well, I got angry one time. And then they relate all the horrible things he said to her. Well, he he did uh, have a back scratcher, but he just asked her one time to scratch his back. And it goes on and on and on. But his behavior in the courtroom responding to this is demeanor. One story can tell us Amelia Clark is someone you'd really like. One story can tell you Bob De Niro, not so much.
0: You you talking to me? This is 650 CKOM and 980 CJME.